0: Brothers and sisters, visitors and those joining us via live stream, a hearty welcome to you all. What a great blessing to be here once again to join in worship of our triune God. May the preaching of the gospel direct our hearts and minds to Jesus Christ, our Saviour, causing us to love him with a sincere heart and devote our entire lives to his praise. Consistory has the following announcements. Sister... Nicky Hall and Brother Ashley Muller have indicated their intentions to enter into the married state according to the ordinance of God. They desire to begin this holy state in the name of the Lord and complete it to his glory. If no lawful objections are brought forward, the ceremony will take place, the Lord willing, Saturday the 28th of May at 12.30pm in the Free Reformed Church of Southern River with Reverend D. Poppy officiating. The consistory with deacons will meet, the Lord willing, at 8pm tomorrow in the consistory room, and this afternoon's service will be led by our brother, Peter Terpstra. Before we commence, let us sing together hymn 44, verse 1 and 2.
1: if you are able, please stand. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Amen. And he greets us. Grace to you and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us praise our God we singing hymn seven, verse one and two. Of our Catholic, undoubted Christian faith, which this afternoon we'll do with the words of the Nicene Creed, after which we'll sing from Psalm 144, verse 1 and 3. Let everyone say in his heart, We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God. Begotten of the Father before all ages, God of God, light of light, true God of true God, begotten, not made, of one substance with the Father through whom all things were made, who, for us men and our salvation, came down from heaven and became incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary, and was made man. He was crucified for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. And the third day he arose again according to the scriptures and ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of the Father. And he will come again with glory to judge the living and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified, who spoke through the prophets. And we believe one holy, Catholic and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins and we look forward to the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. now come before the Lord in prayer and ask for a blessing over this worship service now Father in heaven we bow before you to thank you that we may be gathered here again for the second time this day at the start of this worship service you greeted us and extended your grace and peace to us and Lord we need your grace of ourselves we are unworthy unable to do any good We confess that we constantly fall short in our obedience to your holy law. And yet in your grace, you sent your Son into this world to make the payment that we could not make. Through his precious blood shed on the cross, he redeemed us and made us sons and daughters together with him. So that we might indeed call you our Father. Lord, we can only stand in awe of your grace. We bring before you those who are not with us this afternoon. We pray that you will be with those who cannot be here for health reasons, maybe isolating at home with COVID. Will you care for them, sustain them, and grant restored health? We pray, too, that you will be with those who choose not to be here because they think they can serve you in their own way, rather than be gathered together with your people. There are also those who have turned their back on you altogether. Lord, you are a powerful God with whom nothing is impossible. And so we pray that you will work mightily in their hearts, that so there may be a humble realisation that the path they are on is not the road to eternal life. And we pray that you will lead them back to yourself. Lord, we pray that you will be with us as your church here in Southern River. Will you be with our pastor and teacher, Reverend Poppy? Give him strength and energy that he may to carry out his task in proclaiming your gospel to us. Will you protect him as he travels home from Tasmania tomorrow night? We pray that you'll be with the elders as they carry out their work in bringing your holy word to your flock, in bringing your holy word to your flock, to comfort, encourage, guide and admonish us. We pray that you'll be with the deacons in their work as well. Give that they may have a genuine love for the people whom you have placed under their care. To this end, we pray that you will bless the thank offerings that we may bring later. Lord, we pray that you'll be with each and every one of us, that we may be a people who know you and love you and also love one another. Will you help us to be busy with your word? And so we pray that you will bless the ward Bible studies that are planned for this week. Give that through these activities we may build each other up as we discuss your word together. We pray that you will be with us in our families too. May our homes be true Christian homes where your word is open and our covenant children are raised to know you and to love you. Give us as parents much wisdom in this. We thank you for the John Kelvin schools where our children may be educated with a Christian worldview. We continue to be with our schools so they may have the resources that they need. We also pray that you will protect them from the attacks of the devil as he sees as he seeks to undermine Christian foundations in society. Lord, again, we thank you that you have called us here this afternoon into your presence, that we might once again hear your word. We pray that you will bless this worship service. Will you help each and every one of us, through your Holy Spirit, to receive your word, that the gospel will fall on fertile soil, take root, and so bear fruit. May our voices join with a heavenly choir of angels in singing your praise, bringing honour and glory to your holy name. Amen. The sermon that I am going to read to you this afternoon is written by Reverend Rodney Vermeulen from the Athercliffe Canadian Reformed Church. The scripture reading that he has chosen is from Revelation 6 and 7. So I invite you to turn with me now to Revelation chapter six, which you can find that on page one two 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 of your Guest Bible. In Revelation chapter 5, it was Christ who was found worthy to open the seal, the scroll with the seven seals. In chapter 6, we see the opening of six of those seals, and then in chapter 7, we have a pause, as it were, before the opening of the seventh seal. We pick up our Bible reading with the opening of the sixth seal, which is Revelation 6, verse 12, and we'll read through to the end of chapter 7. So when he, that is, Jesus, the Lamb, the Lamb, when he opened the sixth seal, I looked, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth. The full moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as a fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that had been rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Holding back the four winds of the earth, that no wind might blow on earth or sea or against any tree. Then I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun with the seal of the living God. And he called with a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm earth and sea, saying, Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of the sealed. And he will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. So so far. Let us now sing from Psalm 142. All verses. afternoon we continue through the Heidelberg Catechism where we have come to Lord's a 13. Let's now read that together. You can find that on page 528 of your book of praise. Lord's a 13. Why is he called God's only begotten son, since we also are children of God? Because Christ alone is the eternal natural son of God. We, however, are children of God by adoption, through grace, for Christ's sake. Why do you call him our Lord? Because he has ransomed us, body and soul, from all our sins, not with silver or gold, but with his precious blood, and has freed us from all the power of the devil to make us his own possession." following the proclamation of the gospel our Amen song will be Hymn 69 verse 1, 2 and 3 (coughs) Dear congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ it was truly heart-wrenching to see if you saw it I'm sure it affected you too. Particularly if you are a mum, it was really difficult to look at. Maybe you even cried. But such was the desperate situation in Afghanistan that mums were willing to hand their children over the wall to complete strangers in the hope that they will have a better life than living under the reign of terror that is Taliban rule. The images are already a few months old but I bet you can still see them. A mum holding her child high above her head, begging an American soldier to take that child over the wall to safety. On mum's side of the wall is great tribulation, to use a phrase from Revelation 7. On the other side of the wall, there is a promise of safety and security. Congregation, the year of our Lord 2022 is well underway. It is already ready term to at school. Over the last few years, we've been faced with all kinds of uncertainty. For many of us, the coming days, weeks, months are no different. Some of us are looking down the barrel of the next number of months, as much as we can do that, of course, and feel a great deal of uncertainty. What's all going on? Where is everything headed? Are we going to face more restrictions? And this federal election... What's it going to mean in terms of Australia's direction going forward? Add to that the uncertainty you perhaps feel regarding your personal situation. Perhaps there's something going on in your family. Maybe there's a significant ongoing health concern for you or a loved one and the future is very unclear. If there was a wall that we could somehow climb over, on the other side of which was peace and security and stability and regularity and normalcy, we'd climb over that, wouldn't we? Brothers and sisters, we are living in the last days. That's not new. That's been the case ever since Christ walked this earth. But maybe, with everything that is going on in our world, in our country, in our society, we are sensing that more than ever. The great tribulation that our scripture reading mentions in verse 14 of chapter 7, is not just a future reality it describes a present sinful, broken world with all the horrible consequences that resulted from the fall into sin but we need to understand something Christ our Lord does not stand on top of the wall so to speak and pull us up and over into the safe zone nor does he take our children from our arms not our university or college students or our young people just starting out in the workforce, he does not take them from our arms and tuck them away in safekeeping. Instead, the eternal, natural Son of God entered our world. He came from heaven's side of the wall and onto our side, the side of tribulation, so that we could be adopted as God's children and so find security in his lordship as we live through the tribulation on this side of the wall, on this side of eternity. Our theme, the comfort of having as Lord the Christ, through whom we are adopted as God's children. We'll pay attention to the certainty of our adoption and the security in his Lordship. The comfort of having as as Lord the Christ, through whom we are adopted as God's children. And we'll pay attention to, firstly, the certainty of our adoption. We read the end of Revelation 6 as well as Revelation 7. At the end of Revelation 6, the sixth of the seven seals had been opened. Christ, as the one who was found worthy to open the scroll of chapter 5, is opening each of the seven seals. Christ, our Lord, is sovereign over history and he is busy executing it according to God's plan. These are the seven seals of God's wrath, God's judgment on the world. The sinful world, the world that has thrown God into the garbage bin of irrelevance, is experiencing God's judgment. And so severe is what happens as a a sixth seal is opened that every class of people, from the movers and shakers in society down to the poorest of the poor, would rather be buried under a pile of rocks or have a mountain fall on them than face the wrath of the Lamb. That's in verse 15 and 16 of chapter 6. And just as we anticipate the climax, the opening of the seventh seal, there is a pause. The divine drama of God's righteous judgment is, as it were, stopped temporarily. Chapter 7, verse 1. Four angels standing at the four corners of the earth. Think north, south, east and west. Holding back the four winds of the earth that no wind might blow on earth or sea or against any tree. Four angels holding back. For now, the further opening of the seven seals. Why? Because there's another angel, verse 2, and he says, in verse 3, Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. One of the functions of seals in those days was to mark ownership. Think of question and answer 34 Christ our Lord has made us his possession. He owns us, having freed us from the power of the devil. This angel then needs time to make sure that each one of God's elect children is marked, is sealed. God holds back the forward momentum of his judgment for the sake of the elect, to ensure that each one is marked with Christ's seal of ownership, to ensure that each one is drawn into the folds of his church. You see, congregation, in the great tribulation of the last days in all of history since Christ's ascension into heaven. There are two groups of people. There are those who would rather be buried under a pile of rocks or otherwise have a mountain fall on top of them rather than face the wrath of the Lamb. And then there are those who are sealed with the seal of the living God, those who call Christ Lord. There are those on the one hand who have embraced sin and death and all the horrible lawlessness that goes with it. And there are those on the other hand who, by grace, have embraced life and all the blessings that come with being sealed by God. Understand this well. In the time of the last days, in the time of the great tribulation, which of these two groups you belong to matters. Congregationally, matters enormously. Not just because being in the first group means you prefer to be buried alive under rocks rather than face the wrath of the Lamb at his return, While being in the second group means that you will welcome the return of the Lamb with exuberant and unabashed joy. No, it matters enormously which group you are in when it comes to living through the tribulation. It matters enormously for the here and now, for what we are facing and what we may yet have to face as God's people. This is why, dear brothers and sisters, We need to be so certain of our adoption as God's children. It's not just so that we can arrive at the other end of history and be welcomed into the new heavens and earth, but so that we can live with Christ as Lord of our life through the tribulation of the last days. The only way to live through the tribulation is as an adopted child of God. So then, here is a crucial question How can we be certain of our adoption? How is my being adopted as a child of God possible? See the beauty of this congregation. Appreciate anew you your father's grace. Our adoption is certain because answer 33 Christ alone is the eternal natural son of God. In terms of God's children Christ is unique. The Apostles' Creed says it this way I believe in Jesus Christ his only begotten son. That Only begotten Son applies only to one child of God and that is the Christ. It does not apply to any of us although yes we are God's children. The Nicene Creed which we use to make our confession of faith this afternoon expands on the beauty of this truth with these lines and in one Lord Jesus Christ the only begotten Son of God. And what does that mean? The Creed continues. God of God, light of light, true God of true God, begotten, not made, of one substance with the Father. So who is Jesus Christ? He always has been, and he is, and he always will be, God. He is a natural son of God, of one substance with the Father. It means this, God the Father and God the Son, Two distinct persons are indeed, at the same time, one. Jesus Christ is God, light of light, true God of true God. And he has always been God. He is the eternal Son of God. He will always be God. And why does this matter so much? Because being divine, being God, it was only he who could do what he did. And what did he do? Or to ask it this way, did he stay on the side of the wall, to go on with that imagery, that is peace and security and heaven's glory? Did he stay in heaven? No, praise God, he did not. Precisely because he is the eternal natural son of God, he entered into the great tribulation that is this sin-wrecked world. His feet got dust on them, the same dust as his fellow Israelites. His eyelids felt so heavy at times that he slept through a storm in the bottom of a boat. He wept openly real tears at the graveside of his friend because he felt very deeply the results of sin. He entered into the great tribulation and experienced it as the eternal natural son of God. The son of God joins us in our brokenness. And while here on this earth he made clear who he is the eternal, natural Son of God. He walked among the brokenness of a sin-wrecked world. He touched broken and messy things and made them whole. Just take a quick survey of one of the Gospels. Mark chapter 1. Jesus heals many, including a man with leprosy and another with an unclean spirit. And the question is there, who is this man? He must be God. Mark 2. Jesus heals a paralytic and forgives him his sin. Again, the question is asked, who is this man? He must be God. In Mark 3, it was a man with a withered hand who experienced the make-whole power of this Son of God. In chapter 4, Jesus proved his sonship, his divinity beyond a shadow of a doubt by commanding the wind and the waves to be still. And we could go on and on through the Gospel. Throughout his ministry on earth, Jesus left a wonderful trail of things that were broken, now made whole. People sick made well. Storms raging now quieted. The conclusion is simple. It's inevitable. This is the Son of God. He is divine, of the same substance with the Father. This is the eternal, natural Son of God. But continue to contemplate with me what Christ did while on this earth. Indeed, what only he could do precisely, because he is the eternal natural son of God. He didn't just come into the great tribulation, fix a few things, tidy up a bit of the messiness, heal some sick people, throw out some demons, forgive some people their sin and then leave again. By proving himself to be the eternal natural son of God. By means of his teaching and miracles, he was making clear his power over the sin that caused all the brokenness. Oh, it's true, congregation, on this side of the wall, on the side of tribulation, it seemed as if the brokenness of this sin-filled world had caught up with the Son of God. As the Son of God, he didn't somehow exist here but hover above the brokenness. No, he lived it, he breathed it, he felt it. He wept because of it. He experienced most graphically and horribly the extent and depth of the brokenness in his own soul, in his body too. On the way to the cross he suffered all that brokenness for our sake, on our behalf. And then his father deliberately and purposely set up the cross according to his divine plan on this side of the wall. The cross stood right smack bang in the middle of all the destruction of a sin-stained world. And on that cross, our Saviour hung as he experienced the greatest brokenness of all, separation from the Father. In that sense, just picture it with me for a moment. The horror and the brokenness of the cross blended in so well with the brokenness that surrounded it. It is as if the brokenness had caught up with the cross, It is as if the messiness had overwhelmed him, the eternal, natural son of God. But no congregation. It looked that way because he was suffering the wrath of God against sin, yours and mine. And that is horrific. It's terrible. It was only he who could do that. Because it is only he who is the eternal, natural son of God. Understand. This divine drama of redemption happened right here in this world. It happened right here on this planet. So that we, by that precious blood, answer 34, might be freed from the power of the devil and so be adopted as God's children for Christ's sake. It happened right here on this world so that those who are adopted, so that those who are marked with the seal of the living God may know that just as Christ was sustained by the Father through his greatest of tribulations, we too, now adopted into the family of the living God, might be sustained by the Father through the great tribulation. He, the Son of God, because he is God, could bear the burden of the massive, indescribably heavy weight of all the sins of his people, so that his people could be marked with the seal of the living God, and so be sustained, and supported, and carried, and upheld, as they live through the great tribulation. None of God's children, none who call Christ Lord, are overwhelmed by the present or the brokenness that may yet come. You see, congregation, what it means to be adopted child. What it means to be an adopted child of God in our present circumstances, with all the uncertainty we are facing. He doesn't airlift us out of the great tribulation. He doesn't send in rescue messages, missions to get us out. But rather he comes to us, adopts us into his family so that we are properly equipped to live through the tribulation. And that's why the most important thing is always, which group are you in? The one who cannot face the wrath of the Lamb or the one which is marked with the seal of the living God? And as those who belong to the second group, as I pray, each one of us does, we know with the certainty of faith that we are secure in his lordship, even as we live through the here and now. And that's our second point. The fact that the authors of the Catechism put these two questions and answers in the same Lord's Day is beautiful. Think about it. Who do we have as Lord, as Master of our life? Who is it who owns you? Whose possession are you? Who do we call Lord? The very one who, not only is the Son of God, but who as the eternal, natural Son of God, came down to us in our tribulation and made us his own. To put it very simply, your master, your Lord, is your saviour. Can you think of any better master to serve than him who gave up heaven's glory, joined you in the tribulation, and loves you so much that he suffered the full extent of the results of sin for your sake? Here is security, divine security. The one whose love for you, for me, extends so far as you die for me, He is not going to let me be buffeted about by the uncertainties of life to the point of my becoming separated from him. No unexpected left hook from your university or college is going to mean you being wrenched out of his loving grasp. No unsettling fear you feel about the future in any way diminishes the warmth of his loving embrace. No sickness or disease or virus can loosen his claim on your soul. No loss of freedoms are sufficient to undo his adoption of you as his child. No federal election result has the power to detach you from his love. No hellish piece of legislation can drive any sort of wedge between you and your Lord. The child of God, the one marked with the seal of God, is absolutely secure under his Lordship. Revelation 7 brings it out so beautifully The divine drama of the opening of the seven seals is pause after the sixth seal. That's necessary. Verse 3, until, says the angel, we have sealed the servants of God on their foreheads. We saw that already. And look, congregation, at verses 4 through 8. You would think, wouldn't you, that verse 4 is sufficient. And I heard the number of the sealed, 144,000, sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. But no, we have verse 5 through 8. We read them, kind of repetitious. 12,000 from the tribe of, 12,000 from the tribe of, 12,000 from the tribe of. But here's the point. There is an exact number of those who are sealed. And no, it's not as some believe, just 144,000 people in total. Because verse 9, you can see it there, describes a symbolic 144,000 as a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages. Yes, there is a great multitude. We can't number it, given our, given our human limitations. But God knows the exact number. More than that, He knows because He chose the precise persons who make up that number. Canons of Dort, Article, Chapter One, Article Seven. Says that God has chosen in Christ to salvation a definite number of specific persons. And each one of these specific persons has as their Lord the Christ who has ransomed them. Not with silver or gold, but with his precious blood. Answer 34. Each one of these specific persons are his possession. Look at how the Holy Spirit describes these people. Oh, brothers and sisters. If you are in Christ, relish the wonderful security that comes in being one of them. For the Holy Spirit then describes you, verse 14, as having washed your robes in the blood of the Lamb. Your robes are made white, pure. You are redeemed. You are bought with precious blood, the blood of none other than the eternal, natural Son of God. And so, as an adopted child of God, you belong to him, He is your Lord. And what a difference that makes for the here and now of living through the tribulation. What a difference that makes for you, for me, as we live through whatever it is that God has placed before us. Because, uh, Revelation 7, the seven seals of God's wrath are being consecutively unsealed. God's judgment is sweeping the earth. And the pause of Revelation 7 is necessary so that all those who are bought with that precious blood are sealed. But with that pause, God the Holy Spirit is also giving us a look at how those saints, those who are Christ's possession, are handling the great tribulation. Notice that about Revelation 7 those white robes are washed white. Are not sorry. Those whose robes are washed white and not running around, looking for a pile of rocks to burrow under. They are not on their knees before some mountain, begging the mountain to be lifted up and fall on them. They are not, when the unexpected happens, shaking in their boots with a sweat of fear dripping off the end of their noses. They are not glued to their TVs and their newsfeed, petrified of what they are going to hear next. They are not so fearful of another wave of the virus. They are not so upset by government mandates or big tech censorship that they speak in whispers wherever they go. They are not either rushing up to the wall looking to be magically beamed out of the great tribulation. Instead, instead, those whose robes are washed white, those who have as their lord, their master, the one who bought them with his precious blood, They, as they live through the great tribulation, they are quiet, they are calm, they have peace, even as the world falls apart around them. They are quiet, they are calm, they are at peace, because they trust their Lord. And they know that, come what may, they can always trust him. After all, he, the eternal natural son of God, gave up his life for them. He, as divine God, lived through the greatest of tribulations. He, as divine God and true man, died as a result, but then rose again to a new life, so that we, in our white robes, might indeed live through the great tribulation, absolutely secure under his lordship. If you have been adopted into his family, if the Christ calls you a brother or sister, if with him you share a heavenly father, then he is never going to let you go, no matter what happens. But no, that wonderful, comforting truth doesn't lull us into inaction. The first thing, the very first thing we busy ourselves with is worship, just like we're doing as described in Revelation 7. We busy ourselves with worship, as in verse 10. Crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And then we go and keep living through the great tribulation in a way that is reflective of the white robes we have been given. In a way that makes obvious the seal of God on our foreheads. In a way that shows we have indeed been bought with very precious and priceless blood in a way that shows that we really are secure in his lordship and then when it is all over even then our lord will not take us up over the wall no he is going to come to us again enter into the great tribulation once more and renew this very world on which we experience the great tribulation he will make his home with us Heaven and earth made one. And, verse 15, we will spend our days and nights in his temple, being sheltered by his wonderful presence. All the troubles of the great tribulation will be a thing of the past, as he, our shepherd, verse 17, as he, our shepherd, will guide you to springs of living water. At that time, every single tear brought about by having to live through the great tribulation, will be wiped away by God himself. Amen. Let us pray to the Lord. Almighty, merciful God and Father, how great is your love that you have shown to us, that even before the creation of this world you knew us and you called us your children. Through the work of your Son, our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ, you adopted us as heirs to everlasting life. We thank you that we could be reminded of that again this afternoon. With Christ as our Lord and Master, nothing can separate us from your love. And Lord, we thank you for the perspective that this gives us. Help us as we live our lives here on this earth to know that we belong to you, to remember that we are your children, and we pray that this may be evident in our lives. Help us to show to those around us, to our friends, our workmates, our neighbours, that we have been marked with your seal on our foreheads, Help us to be faithful in our work, in our families, knowing that through our lives here on this earth, we are co-workers with you, building the new Jerusalem. Help us to look forward to the day when you will return on the clouds of heaven, when all things will be made new, when death and sickness will be no more, and you will wipe away every tear from our eye. Lord, what a wonderful promise this is. Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. Amen. You now have the opportunity to bring your offerings, which this afternoon is for the ministry of mercy. And after your offerings have been collected, let us rise and sing from hymn 85, verse 1 and 2. lift up our hearts to the Lord, receive his blessing and go in peace. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.